Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Speaking of prayer at this time, that's precisely what we're going to do. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we are gathered together this morning for the sole purpose of worshiping you. We have worshiped you in song, but now we turn our attention to the proclamation of your word. Lord, I pray that we allow your word to speak to us. We allow your Holy Spirit who lives within our hearts because of our faith in you to convict us from what you have to say to us from James. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A scuba diver briefly lives in the water but still breathes air. That's because a scuba diver is going to take air from the outside world, put that air in a can on their back in a tank, put a regulator in their mouth. A regulator is actually what regulates the air that they breathe going in and out so they can survive underneath water. But the only reason why a scuba diver is able to temporarily live underneath water is because of the air in which they breathe. Just like this song we just sang. This is the air I breathe. We understand as believers that the air that we breathe actually comes from the world. But a scuba diver is able to function in the environment that they find themselves in because of the air from the outside world. Now, if they choose to conform to the environment around them and then, you know, decide to abandon that regulator that regulates their oxygen intake from the tank on their back, they would eventually die. A scuba diver can't assume to continue to live without actually breathing air. So it would be foolish for a scuba diver to conform to their temporary environment. And and I can't stress enough their temporary environment. Brothers and sisters, this is similar to the Christian. We live in this world, however, we do not live of this world. Those are two totally different things. However... We know as believers that to conform to this world actually leads us towards our death. We know who provided this air that we breathe, while the rest of the world does not. Those who do not are actually described in the title of our sermon this morning. And our title for today's sermon is this, Enemies of God, enemies of God. We're going to be in James. We just finished up chapter 3 last Sunday. This Sunday we begin chapter 4. We're in James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. Now, if you do not have your Bible with you this morning, no problem whatsoever. Here at Villa's Grace, we always make sure to keep the verses on the screen as we preach. And the reason why we do that, just so you know, it's to... Keep everybody accountable. Everybody accountable. Not just one or two of us here. All of us should be held accountable. We should be holding one another accountable. If the verses are on the screen, if you're reading through your Bible, then you should know whatever you hear from this pulpit isn't just opinion. 
What you hear from this pulpit should be the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way we can hold each other accountable is if we all have the one and only true source with us as we do just that. But before we continue, we must remember that last week in our sermon that was titled True Wisdom, we made the distinction between wisdom from the world, wisdom that we find here in this temporal world, and then wisdom that actually comes down from above. We recognize that wisdom is either false and vile, or it's either righteous and true. James also reminded us that true wisdom chooses Jesus over societal acceptance each in every time. Also, that same true wisdom chooses the eternal peace of Jesus each and every time. Today, however, we transition just a bit here. We're actually going to identify the enemies of God because, let's face it, either you are a friend of God, a child of God, or you are His foe. Those who pursue personal desire instead of the Lord's will, they are enemies of God. Those who ultimately turn a blind eye, and this is really the most important thing that we can remember, those who turn a blind eye towards His grace, those are the true enemies of God. So let's go ahead and get into this text this morning and see what God has for us by the hand of James as he penned chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. causes fights among you. The enemies of God choose ambition and success over grace. And one thing we're going to notice this morning, whether it's ambition, whether it's reputation, or whether it's success, all three of these things that these enemies of God choose over grace, all three are temporal. They're only for this life and this life only, whereas grace is all about our life to come. Grace is forever. Now, James begins by asking another rhetorical question. He asks some rhetorical questions at the end of chapter 3, but let's refresh. What is a rhetorical question? It's a question that you ask when you already know the answer to it. So James is asking a question that he already has the answer to, and what does he start off by asking? He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Quite simply, the answer is found in verse 1 as well. See, the answer to that question is the consequence of these quarrels and fights is your passions. Brothers and sisters, our passions derive from sin. That's where our passions derive from. Do you notice how it says, though, quarrels and fights? See, the plural form of quarrels and fights should indicate to us that this isn't like a one-time only thing. This indicates that these quarrels and fights are habitual and they are chronic. They are ongoing. And it's all because of the flesh's passions. Passions are actually, have you ever heard of the term hedonism? You ever heard somebody use that term? I'll define it for you really quick. Hedonism is this in definition. The chief purpose of living is to satisfy oneself. So a hedonistic mentality is lived out by somebody who has the sole goal of only satisfying themselves. The sinful flesh 
attempts to satisfy self in many ways. And I think as humans, as we get to walk this earth, we know that that is very true, isn't it? If we take an honest self-evaluation of ourselves, we realize real quickly that sinful flesh attempts to satisfy itself in so many different ways. But we must be careful not to be even the slight bit hedonistic in our own lives because hedonism will take over your personal goals each in every time. It will propel financial ambition to the forefront of your life. It will preoccupy self with one's reputation. It will seek success over and above God's will. Again, all three of these things are temporal. They are for this life and this life only. As Christians, we are at war. We are at war with our own flesh. So if our ambition, reputation, and success does not align with the Lord, I mean, if the ambition and the success and the self-absorption of our own reputation, if that's not aligning with the Lord, then it's aligning with our adversary. Again, it's either or. Either you are a friend, a child of God, or you are one of his enemies. And our adversary is right there all along the while, whispering into each and every one of our ears. He's saying all kinds of sweet nothings to us that sound just like this. He says things like, go ahead, you can do it. Only thing you have to do is just think positive enough and you can accomplish this. Empower yourself by positive thinking. Our adversary is whispering in our ear. He is saying, reaching your financial goals will make you happy. That is the ambition in life that you will be happy with. He's telling us that competing for our reputation amongst others will make us happy. We hear things like this, the excess from success. All the excess from success will make you happy. That's what's being whispered into our ears from the adversary. Brothers and sisters, take a look at, at verses 2 and 3, though. See, if our ambition, if our reputation, and our success, if it aligns with our adversary, then we know we're going to desire, right? That's a foregone conclusion. If these things are true, then we know that we're not going to stop desiring because right here it's telling us that we are going to desire. But in order to satisfy what we desire when it comes to these three things, you know what we must do? What does it tell us? What is it that we're going to do? What's the first thing that we're going to do? We're going to murder. You will end another's life in order to step on their throat so you can get to where it is that you're going. Now, I know some of you are actually thinking right now, wait, 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 hold on a second, hold on. I've never even thought of hurting a fly, let alone murder somebody else. Oh, you think that's true, huh? You think that highly of yourself? I hope you don't think I think that highly of myself. But then again, I think I do think that highly of myself. 
Then again, I think you do think that highly of yourself. If we didn't think this highly of ourselves, James wouldn't be speaking to us in the manner in which he's speaking to us this morning. Now, let me just go to Matthew really quick to verify everything I just said, because Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, You fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. See, when Jesus says everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment, that goes and it reminds us that murder, the outward form is one thing, but where it begins is another, but really they're still connected because if you're going to murder somebody physically, that hatred started in your heart. And that's exactly where Jesus goes each and every time. I love the gospel because the gospel gets down to business. The gospel doesn't beat around the bush. What are your intentions? What are your motivations? And where do they begin? That's why the Holy Spirit gets placed into the heart of the believer because God goes right down to the nitty-gritty. He gets dirty and he rolls his sleeves up and he starts cleaning house. So when we put ourselves in this position, we must remind ourselves that we cannot obtain what we desire. So when that happens, when we get put in a position where we cannot obtain what we desire, we go back and do what? We fight and quarrel like it says here in the text. We fight and quarrel because we didn't do what? What is it that we neglected to do? Oh, that's right. We do not ask, James reminds us. We do not ask because our adversary is already whispering into our ears. That's why we don't ask. It's kind of hard to ask when you're listening to the wrong person. It's kind of hard to hear yourself think when you're listening to somebody whisper sweet nothings right there into your ear. And the whispers sound just like this. Oh, man. You want to know how the whispers sound? Well, James tells us. What does it say? Spend it on your passions. Spend it all, ladies and gentlemen, and spend it all on your passions. Now, as we look at verse 4, James puts those who align themselves with our adversary on blast. That's what the young kids say to just say he exposes completely those who want to put themselves and align themselves with our adversary. So what does he say? He begins by calling them and saying to them, you adulterous people. See, James is actually referring to spiritual adultery here. They have made friendship with the world. That is what he goes on to say. And when you make friendship with the world, what do we know is true? It's true that you have enmity with God. Now, enmity is a word that we don't hear all the time, but really what that means is this, and this is a very harsh word. So if you make friends with the world, you make enmity with God, which actually means you make hatred between you and God. You make hostility between you and God. God. So friendship of the world is hatred between you and the Lord. Friendship with the world is hostility between you and the Lord. Now our title's namesake is actually from, it derives from this phrase that we see here in verse 4 where it says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. This is like the scuba diver. You know, the one who chooses to abandon the regulator and conform to his environment. That's an environment that leads to death without error. 
So we better remind ourselves each and every day whose air that we breathe. This air that I breathe comes from the Lord. He is our creator, sustainer. Brothers and sisters, we have to remind ourselves of this, especially when we compare that to what God's word has already told us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. I'll read these verses for you. They will not be on the screen. But John writes this, he writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's an amazing, amazing, Amazing thought. Whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. See, reaching your financial goals, competing for your reputation, the excess from success will not and cannot abide forever. Now, I want to take this moment to just at least say this. There is nothing wrong with running into success. I'm talking the type of success that the world would say is success here on this earth. There's nothing wrong with having a good reputation in our community. These aren't bad things, but it's your motivation behind them. It's why are you pursuing them? You can achieve all of these things, but still have your eyes on eternity. It's those who achieve these things, but don't even care for eternity. They only care about this life and this life now. I don't know about you. Some of you are a little bit older than me. Some of you are younger. But I can say this at the age of 40 now. One thing that is very true for me, if years used to go fast in the past, decades now go fast for me. So life is short. Our hope is in the work of Jesus. Our hope has everything to do with our life to come, not the temporal life that we live now. Brothers and sisters, our God is definitely a jealous God. So the world would probably tell us certain things, especially when we think about the excess from success. What is it that the world would say? A phrase that would come to mind to me would be, fake it till you make it. People will say that. And really, at the end of the day, that's all people are doing anyway. They're just faking it until they make it. It doesn't matter. It's all fleeting. Solomon and Ecclesiastes, very clear. It's all vanity, fleeting joy, chasing the elusive butterfly that you'll never catch. It's all it is. It's all relative. But see, God wouldn't say fake it till you make it. God's reality says fake it, never make it. And it doesn't matter what this world's reality says. It matters what God's reality says. And God's reality says this world is temporal. Your life here is temporal. But your life to come is forever. And our job as believers is to point people towards Jesus. That's why we've been left behind. That's the reason why the church hasn't been raptured yet. Jesus won't come back until the last person saved anyway, so our job 
from now until then is to share this gospel message with those so they can come to a saving faith in Jesus and enter the kingdom and be a child of God and no longer be an enemy. Brothers and sisters, our God is definitely a jealous God. And Scripture says, as it says here in the text, when we see that, it means that all the Bible, the entire Bible says, that's basically what James is saying. And James is saying, the entire Bible says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, spirit is actually designated for either the Holy Spirit or the spirit, our spirit that he has made in us. Either way, they both belong to him. They are both his work. I don't want to debate what this scholar says or that scholar says when we see the word spirit here in the text. Regardless if we think it's the Holy Spirit or the spirit that he has made for us, the bottom line is we had nothing to do with either one, did we? This is his work. This is his air that I breathe. This is his air that we all breathe together. Also, when we look at spirit here, there's something else that we can understand as well. Not only are both his work, but both are objects of his jealousy. He has put a spirit into us that he is jealous over. I wouldn't have it any other way. What good would it be if the Lord gave us his spirit but yet wasn't jealous? Didn't love us enough to be jealous over what he's done. He is so jealous for us that he went to the cross for us so Satan couldn't have us. That's love. That's holiness because only his holiness was able to conquer the grave. So... I think it's safe for us to say this then, if he's jealous over the spirit that he has placed in us, whether it's the Holy Spirit or our spirit, I think it's safe to say that both justify his grace that we see here in the text. His jealousy justifies his grace, but he gives more grace, it says. He gives more grace. The question we can ask then is why? Why does he give more grace? So as Joe comes up and we answer this question, I believe first and foremost, we have to define what grace actually is. Grace is a gift given. Grace can also be defined as unmerited favor. Basically, grace is something that we receive and we had nothing to do with earning. You can't earn God's grace Grace always leads to faith, faith in Jesus. Therefore, grace always leads to salvation. God has given his grace to us so that we can have eternal life. So we can understand that this world is temporal. So why does he give more grace? I believe he gives more grace because the sinful flesh attempts to satisfy itself in many ways. It's proud, isn't it? It's the proud that we see. It's the enemies of God. They are the ones who reject God's grace. However, those who receive God's grace understand that we are at war against our own flesh. That is the everyday battle of a Christian. And that God defeated sin, which actually leads to death. So this flesh that we're in, that we're in battle with, God has already won the war. 
He has already defeated the consequence of sin, which is actually death itself, which means we actually defeated death too, but not on our own. We only defeated death by accepting God's grace that He has given us, which therefore leads to our faith in Jesus Christ. His work upon the cross. There is absolutely nothing that we can do. We have enough to deal with. Especially since we know that we're at war with our own flesh. We achieve salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That is the air that we Breathe. So just like a scuba diver would be foolish to abandon their regulator, a Christian would be foolish to abandon God's grace. It's amazing that we get to live in this place and still hold on to God's grace. Why would we abandon that? So a Christian is just like that scuba diver because words are not audible underwater. So it doesn't matter what's being whispered into our ear. No matter what's being whispered into our ear, do you comprehend the hedonism by our adversary that's being whispered into your ear each and every day? Telling you that reaching your financial goals will make you happy? Saying things to you that competing for your reputation is what's actually going to make you happy? Or leading you to believe that the excess from success is actually what's going to make you happy? No, He gives more grace so that we cannot comprehend. If it's this life and this life only, if that's all that I know, then those words are music to my ears. But if it's all about eternity and my life to come, He might as well be whispering into the ear of a scuba diver that's on a deep dive because I'm not going to hear a word of it. So again, with that being said, this reminds us of our main idea this morning. This sentence that defined everything that we saw in the text from verses 1 through 6. The enemies of God choose ambition, reputation, and success over God's grace. You can work for those things here in this life and maybe you'll find that success you're looking for but it's for a limited time only or you can just accept the free gift of grace that leads to eternity that's contingent upon the work of Jesus let's pray Heavenly Father your grace is enough Due to your holiness, you were able to extend us the free gift of salvation. I pray that we are a church that is used by you to share your grace with others. Use us, Lord, to bring others to a saving faith in you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.